Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Tonight we'll be talking about Dragon's Crown. I'll be your host, the wonderful wizard. Uh, wait, what's my wizard's name? Mumbo Jumbo. <laughs> um, and with me, I've got the fearsome fighter Wario fan and the androgynous Amazon Adrian. Oh, God. We'll be talking a little bit about our wonderful party who uh, also includes the daring dwarf soup egg. <laughs> I would have said dominating. How about suplexing soup egg, the supreme swarf? Anyway, <laughs> now that we've spoken of him uh, while he's not here, how are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. I finally got a chance to play Ninja Gaiden after taking a break from it for so long. Yeah, for one million years. Warrior fan, how about you? I'm doing fine. I uh, spent money on two humans, just in case. One human's not enough for you? No, I needed two. What is, wait, what is two human? It's it's a 360 game. I know what that is. <laughs> I don't really remember how it plays. I just oh, know. yeah. It was the, like... Dennis Dyack. Yeah, the controversial... Uh, yeah. Why did you ruin games forever, Dennis? <laughs> yeah. I figured, you know what? It's $2. And, yep. you know, I heard he was going to... He was ordered to break every disc in existence, so I might as well just see what the game's about. I liked his GameCube work, but, you know, I kind of feel, feel like... That's all I'm going to like out of him. That might be the case. I picked it up in the dollar bin a couple years ago as well. All I can say is it is in the uh, dungeon hack genre, so maybe we can play it for a tie-in to Dragon's Crown. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, or maybe we might not. (laughs) Um, Regardless, do you guys have any experience with other dungeon crawling games? Like uh, Diablo or anything like that? All kind of roguelikes or just Diablo types? See, I don't consider those roguelikes at all, I guess. Would you think of Dragon's Crown as a roguelike? No, I wouldn't. I mean, no, not really. I I kind of know what you mean. I mean, I've heard... Because Diablo has random generation and stuff like that, so... Although, to be honest, I haven't played a whole lot of Mystery Dungeon games either, so and I haven't played any Diablo. So your answer is no? Basically, yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, you're right. My answer is no. All right. Adrian, how about you? I think there was a DS game I played called Orcs and Elves. Pretty sure that counts as a dungeon crawler. Orcs and Elves. Yeah, I've got no point of reference for that. Yeah, it's a first-person dungeon-crawling kind of game that moves tile by tile, so it's like, it's still turn-based. Ah, okay. So it's not really in the action RPG wheelhouse? No, it's not. It's more on the turn-based side of things. Yeah, I guess it's true that Etrian Odyssey-type games are usually called dungeon-crawlers as well, but... Is there a relationship? Anyway, I don't know. So that might be the closest you've come? Yeah. All right. Well, since that's terrible and neither of you have a point of reference, do you, either of you have a uh, history with beat-em-ups? The belt-scrolling 2D kind, let's say. Let's not open it up to Devil May Cry, Ninja Gaiden, etc. Okay. Okay, belt-scrollers? I think both of us played that Renegade game for the commune. That Renegade game? No, I think Shinnikitsuko Ha was before Adrian's time, wasn't it? Yeah, was it? It was, it was before. Oh. Yeah. Adrian oh, joined for Terranigma, I think, which might have been the next one. Okay. <clears throat> well, I mean, besides uh, what, we've actu- what was actually part of the group, I've played some Double Dragon and uh, the Simpsons arcade game. So the uh, basics. Yeah. Same here. The basics. 
Final Fight, the Simpsons arcade game, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ones. Okay. So those all fall into generally... Actually, Shinneketsuko has a little different, but the rest fall into generally the same category of arcade games that uh, are single-session playthrough, meant to clear with one credit, etc. So Dragon's Crown obviously is a lot more complex than that and has a much larger amount of content at the very least. So it needs to figure out different ways to get the player to invest more time, basically. Despite the fact that it only has nine stages and that those stages can be played straight through with one credit the same way that Double Dragon or Final Fight might be, it instead breaks up the structure and gives the player a stage select and leaves it sort of in their hands to decide what order they're going to play things in and what they want to do with the content that's in front of them. So I think that's the dungeon crawler element to it, the open-endedness, and then the structure of the stages is sort of the beat-em-up element. So we'll start broad and then go narrower. What would you guys say is the goal of Dragon's Crown? Or what is your goal in playing Dragon's Crown? The goal is probably to beat the dragon (laughs) and get the Dragon's Crown. Although I feel like I'd be... uh, I'm jumping ahead here if I actually give what my definition of Dragon's Crown winning would be, though. Well, put it this way. I know that you've beaten the dragon already and you're still playing Dragon's Crown. So I think it's safe to say that for you is not the terminal goal of the game. Right. You can feel free to jump ahead and say what you think of it. Okay. Well, I think the goal is to beat the dragon on the subsequent three difficulties. Yeah, there's the normal difficulty that beating the dragon there unlocks hard and beating there unlocks... Chaos? Is that what the third one's called? I think it's Inferno. Inferno? Okay. So you'd say that once you beat the dragon in Inferno, you'll probably put down the game? Possibly. I mean, that's that's at least the game where the story seems like it will end. Okay. After you beat the dragon on normal mode, you find out that you, uh, if you go to church, you find out that you resurrected one of the uh, the goddess statues. Get, go to church, warrior fan. What is this, 1952? Well, hmm. listen. You know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, if, if you're an atheist like Ranny, you know, I'm not going to judge <laughs> But if you happen to pop into the church and visit the statues, you'll notice that one of them was restored. So she says, hey, you should help me out and, and and save the other two goddesses. So it goes without saying that, that beating the game on hard and then Inferno will restore the other two goddesses. So in, in sort of a cool way, beating the game on, on the harder difficulties is actually canon to the story. And yeah. I think that's that's a pretty pretty good way to encourage people to keep playing. So for you, you feel like you have a pretty good idea of where the story's end point is going to be. And if the game follows through on what it's promising, then that will be the end for you. Right. How about you, Adrian? Uh, What do you think of the game's end goal? Yeah. For me, uh, same with Wirefin. I want to destroy the other two dragons and resurrect those two goddess statues. Another one is the Chaos Labyrinth. Getting to the deepest floor that I can get until I determine either that I can't do it or it's no longer worth it. But I'm pretty sure I can probably do it. That's sort of like saying that you think you know where the story goal is because theoretically, Warrior Fan could beat the end of Inferno and the game could be like, oh my god, there was a fourth statue in the back of the church. (laughs) No one had gotten out of the closet for ten years. But (laughs) Likewise, you think you can get to the end of the Labyrinth of Chaos, so at this point, that is probably your goal. Yeah. If there's a challenge mode, I'll probably go for it. Okay. Although, so, um, of Chaos kind of stopped us, because we, we did all we could on hard mode. Yeah, so the Labyrinth of Chaos, just to 
quickly contextualize is the mode that's unlocked after first beating the dragon that creates randomly generated levels for the player and lets them play through in sequences of three stages at a time. It has three stages in hard mode, nine stages in Inferno, and then maybe after beating Inferno, it has 99. I know at the end it has 99. So. I think that's a completely different dungeon is what I was getting at. Here's what what I thought I saw. The 99 one you think is not the Labyrinth of Chaos? No, that's that's like I think they said that was an, a separate bonus dungeon on a on another hard mode they patched in. Okay, that might be the yeah. case. Uh, so that just gives the show how much Dragon's Ground has lurking in its depths that we're yeah. not even sure at this point. Uh, that's true. <laughs> what is there? But suffice to say, there is a auto-generated dungeon, and that it ends at some point and that it is probably the hardest thing to do in the game. When you're playing the game, basically you create a character and start at the beginning. And each time you create a new character, you sort of start the game again. There are some things that carry over from one to another, like their equipment, and you can start at a higher level at a certain point. I'm actually curious to see if beating hard lets you start characters at a higher level. I doubt that's going to be the case. But the idea is that you'll be playing through the same content more than once if you want to experience everything the game has to offer. So given that's the case, would you say that playing with one character to see the dragon or to reach whatever your desired goal is would be sufficient to complete the game? Or do you guys feel like you really need to experience additional characters. For me, if I do reach the 99 floor one, that would only be with one characters. So I would still want to see if I could do that with the remaining five. So for you, you feel like that would be unique content? Yeah, just switching from Amazon to Sorceress, they play different enough that it, in my mind, justifies uh, me going for those extra challenges. Yeah, it makes sense. Warrior fan, would you like to see the completion of the story with all of them? Well, while I definitely will probably try and beat Inferno mode at least once with one character, since the game effectively gives you an ending with normal mode, and I just I just love completing the, the quests too, because you know they always give you you know a nice little artwork and a nice little story about what happened, and it's just so great, and I feel encouraged to to at least beat normal with all the other characters, even if I won't see it through to the end for Inferno for everybody else. That's interesting you say that about the quest. You feel like that fleshes out the story as well, and therefore you would want to see all of that too. Right, yeah. Yeah, so there are actually many more quests to come that we haven't seen yet. I can't remember when the big windfall of quests comes. It might be once you finish all of the starting ones or something. There are like 30 more to go, basically, that we haven't seen yet. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yes, really. I Trust me, it looks like it's going to be like you're almost done all of them, and then you finish, and then it's like, oh, a whole bunch more. I, I feel like that happened when, uh, or is when that, I started hard mode. Did we already get to that point? I'm going to bring up the wiki real quick so unless, I can correct myself. in the gallery then it lets on because I mean the, the game also gives you little pop-ups when you, when you make, you know, milestones. Uh, there are 50 total quests. Have we done 50? I definitely have not. No, we've, there's no way that we beat all the quests. Anyway, there are a lot of quests regardless of whether I'm correct that we have <laughs> more to unlock. So there's a lot there and those are consistent across the different characters. So as you were saying, you would really only need to beat Inferno with one guy and then play through normal with everyone else if you wanted to see everyone's or all of the story, so to speak. Right. For me, uh, I mean, I've been playing the game substantially longer than uh, either of you guys, 
So I have played with most of the characters. The only one I haven't really put any time or substantial time into is the sorceress. So yeah, I'm I definitely lean more towards Adrian where like I get so much gameplay wise out of playing the different characters that I would feel like I wasn't getting the most out of it if I didn't complete all the challenges. Like beating hard mode with the fighter in no way convinces me that I can beat hard mode with the wizard. And that's just from experience, from the amount that I've had to learn about each individual one. So that's sort of our terminal goal. And we talked a little bit about the incremental goals along the way, the completing the different difficulty modes and completing quests as well. Something that we didn't mention in that is the stages at all. What's the goal of playing an individual stage? I mean, obviously beating the boss at the end is the main goal, but is there more to it than that? I I suppose it relies on decisions. Like if you if you want to go for the A route boss or the B route boss, or if there's any lingering quests that you can handle for that stage, and, and what's the best equipment you can take depending on which route you want to go. And even if you're prepared to go the long haul and do stages consecutively, yeah, Wario fan touched on what I was going to say, and that was, for me, another goal besides just being able to beat the boss is, one, any quest that's in the same level, but two, doing it well enough that I could do consecutive stages. Because it's not enough if I use up all my life points, and then I don't get that extra stage bonus. Okay, so part of your goal is not just beating the boss, but beating the boss in a certain state such that you have a reserve of life points or potions or usable equipment so that you can continue playing. Yeah, because that's an easy metric to judge if you're actually playing the game well at all. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that in particular, that is where the game is most like an arcade game, that you are thinking ahead beyond just what the current challenge is. You need to conserve your special moves or your one-ups until the end of the game. So Dragon's Crown allows you to divide that up in a, in a bit smaller chunks. We talk about just being able to continue to the next stage and that sort of, it's like a recursive form of the general progression of a game. Like rather than knowing that you're going to have nine stages and that's going to be the end of it, just each stage, you know, there's going to be another stage. So you're only concerned with making it to the next stage one at a time. What do you get from it? What are the rewards that you get from playing a stage? So the goals you guys mentioned, being able to play through to the next stage, beating the A route and the B route, completing X number of quests. What are the related rewards for each of those? So for me, the rewards are one, experience, two, money, and three, quests, which you typically also translates into money and experience points. And four are the treasures that you pick up along the way, which you can further break down into weapons and accessories. And those two are really important because they deal in how effectively you can take out a boss and how much damage you yourself can withstand, so... You always want to be on the lookout for those, especially when this game, unlike other RPGs that I know of, actually gives you a recommended level to be at for a boss. So you can be all gung-ho and take on a boss when you're way under level, but if you notice it's taking a long time, you know, another goal you can set up for yourself is you probably need to get some better stuff. Yeah, that is pretty neat, especially because then on the flip side, it's like if you steamroll a boss, it's... A little deflating to be like, oh, I was level 35 and it recommended level 18. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the benefit of the extra hard modes. Or just re-rolling a character. Yeah, so in there you mentioned quests. Wario fan, what are the rewards you get for completing a quest? You talked a little bit about the story earlier, but what else? Much like beating a level, uh, like Adrian said, 
you you can get you know experience and money and what ties into that too with experience is that sometimes you'll get skill points too and some quests will even just outright give you skill points even if you're not going to level up from beating it right so the game has sort of two forms of character building one is through direct experience level which contributes to character level which determines stat points basically and the other is with uh, skill points which are allocated once one per character level and then as you said sometimes with quests as well basically that means altogether for each each level you're completing you're looking at rewards of what was that almost five different forms experience points skill points, gold, items. Oh, there's one more. There's one really obvious one. Talismans? Yeah, talismans. So explain talismans for you, fam. Talismans are the words you get if you do the B route, and those are what you need to do if you want to truly advance the story. Right. So essentially every stage has a talisman. I mean, you already have the difficulty mode you're on, but even within that, the A and B routes are basically like the easy and hard within the stage itself. If you're looking to complete the difficulty level you're on, or the the dragon, basically, you need to collect the talisman from each level. So sort of like in Mega Man, where you have a level select and you have to beat all eight of them before you can move on. You have to beat all the B routes before you can move on. Right. Except, you know, Mega Man didn't have different routes like that. You know, <laughs> Dr. Wily didn't have that kind of foresight. <laughs> yeah. Are there rewards? You know, what we've talked about a lot are, or, or I guess we've talked about what I'd say are two kinds of rewards so far. One would be what you might call systemic rewards or internal rewards or material rewards, maybe which are those skill points, gold points, etc., which are essentially meaningless until you put them to use for something else in the game. They're a form of currency. Then there are content rewards, as we talked about the concept artwork, the storyline, the individual stories for the quests. What about rewards that are affected on the player, essentially? So, like, I would say... If I beat a boss in Ninja Gaiden, then part of the reward is knowing that I was able to beat that boss. Could you guys break it down any further than that? Or do you feel like that's something that's applicable in Dragon's Crown? That's probably applicable, but I'm probably not going to be the one to have a good answer for that, considering that I'm more familiar with the fighter and the play style with him is just, you know, fight, 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 fight. So... So that not being a reward for you is a valid answer, right? I guess you could say that. I guess Adrian would be better equipped to answer because like with the Gazer boss fight where he disables the magic, that's going to be a hard time for the wizard and the sorceress. You feel like there's not too much individual reward that you get from the levels yourself? Not as a fighter. I think that's that's the thing with the fighter. He's just uh, sort of like a, a very casual, friendly sort of play style. Kind of a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. Do you think that's affected at all by the fact that we're playing in multiplayer for you? Or do you think that that's true while you're playing by yourself as well? Hmm. You know, actually, I did have kind of an easy time playing by myself as the fighter in normal mode. Okay, well, that's fair enough then. Adrian? Yeah, for me, that definitely is a reward. You know, just learning how to play the game better. But um, I think w- one of the things about Dragon's Crown is that because of the way it's structured, you know, with the RPG elements, it is structured so that even a more casual player can go through and have fun, even if they're getting the crap kicked out of them, because they can always just continue do- should they have enough gold and should they replay stuff so that they get good enough weapons and armor to deal with a challenge without having to think too much about it but um for me i still have the option to play the way i usually like to play which is doing it while not being hit i still i like being able to do that dragon's crown does offer that for me 
Do you feel like that's reflected in your score at the end of a level? Do you even pay attention to that? The numbers are usually so high that I can't make sense of it, but um, sometimes I still get that reward regardless of what the score says. As you know, I can still learn the boss even though he did take out three of my life points and ended up having me continue. It is, though, harder to do that on multiplayer, though, just because typically there's so much going on screen, and even the individual enemies, they can be taken out so quickly before I have a chance to observe how they behave. It's probably one of the reasons why they let you play a few stages by yourself before you can even unlock online mode, so you at least have a sense of how enemies act and how bosses, at least the A bosses, behave. Yeah, I think that's a good point, that the game is giving you a little bit of time to gauge for yourself what kind of challenges you need to overcome so that you at least have some concept of what playing well means. Yeah, for me, I am especially perceptive to things like how many times do I hit an enemy before they even afflicted by knockback or stun? Because one of the first things I noticed off the bat is that majority of the enemies in the game don't actually take hit stun. It's kind of like in Mega Man, you know, you shoot an enemy, but they keep moving like normal up until you, when you destroy them. Dragon's Crown is a little bit like that, except there's a threshold you usually have to hit before, then you can start bouncing them around and juggling them all over the place. Yeah, it's related to individual moves as well, but you're right. Either way, you feel like you don't need the game to be right there with a score for you or with a grade for you. You feel like Dragon's Crown is clean enough that you can tell yourself when you're playing well. Yeah. I mean, to me, the simplest one is how much health did I have when I ended off and how much life points do I have? That right there is an easy metric for me to gauge how well I did. Yeah. Actually, I, I make a real big effort to clear levels without dying, for one thing, because it does contribute to your score a lot. And for the other thing, just because especially... Dying, maybe not so much, but I won't continue if I run out of life points. Like, if I have to put in the extra credit to keep playing, I usually will just go back to town and start again. Because that means I, I, I'm, like, really out of my depth and I'm missing something. That's that's just a sort of self-imposed limit. Mm -hmm. And I feel another one. I don't actually remember if the game does give you a timer for how long it took you to beat the level but i think over time i will come to use that because one of the things for me is how long did it take for me to beat the boss is going to be another metric that i'm going to be using of course naturally because your stats grow up as you equip better items um that changes even if you're mostly doing the same thing so that might be a little harder to get a sense for um but yeah going to use the timer to see hey am i killing the boss faster because there's a difference between killing the boss not taking hit but you mostly running away from the fight and looking for easy openings versus you know getting in there getting up in their face and taking them out and using every opportunity you get yeah dragon's crown even without going crazy with leveling you can get some pretty satisfying like 10 second boss kills if you are using your class correctly it definitely allows you to fuck with the game, basically. <laughs> uh, I think my... Let's see. Here's a good example of that. The wizard can get pretty nuts sometimes. If you throw down a slow spell and some blazes, you'll just like watch the, the health bar drain down. But I think all the classes, uh, or at least all the ones I have played, have a lot of range in terms of strategy and technique to the amount of time and the amount of score you come out of a level with yeah actually one that would that last one you brought there techniques with individual characters that's another one i'd put for rewards learning how to use their individual moves better how to sequence them better to get the most damage from a combo yeah i mean that makes sense as an action game you're looking at you know, what the timing is for every move, what the range is, etc. So it can affect every situation, basically. Even though I do play pretty reckless with the fighter, and I tried playing reckless with the Amazon, but I, I feel like I wasn't uh, 
getting the same kind of results. But, you know, I, it occurred to me that even de- as the fighter playing recklessly, I, I was still able to pick up uh, on when I- I'm in too deep, even as a fighter. Like when the Gazer or the Warlock do one of those ultimate attacks where, you know, you're just going to get automatically dead if you if you don't defend. I realize that I do pick up on when those sort of things are happening so I can go away and just sit there and defend until the uh, attack sort of passes over. Or even with the dragon too, yeah. Yeah, it's good you mentioned that because I think what you're seeing is that there's sort of a range of things that may affect you or, or may affect your technique. And so while Adrian may be looking at the exact timing of every move and get a certain amount of like a really deep amount of reward out of that, even at the most basic level of playing, which sounds, sort of sounds like an insult, <laughs> even if you're just button matching through the game, there are still points where it is forcing you to have some level of knowledge, forcing you to be ready to react in some way. So, like, you're still getting a reward out of learning, like, when the meteor attack is coming or when the gazer is going to bite your head off or whatever. Right. Yeah, so that's um, that's good. It, I mean, it shows that the game is, you know, providing that kind of thing at least at a very basic level for every player. Yeah. So... In terms of the material awards, we mentioned skill points and experience points. Experience points, I think, are pretty plain. There's definitely nothing unique about Dragon's Crown in either sense, but experience points in particular are just going to add to your character level, add to your stats. But skill points, I think, are more interesting because the player has a bit more choice what to do with those. And money, to a certain extent, is the same way. Basically, the player has a choice of what to do with that. So that's what I would consider an incremental reward. Basically, having a lot of money in your bank account doesn't do anything for you. The real reward is what you can buy with your money. Are there ways that you guys prioritize those things, basically? Warrior fan, I know you're out of gold all the time. So... (laughs) So are there decisions that you make basically to try to get more gold out of stages or whatever? I go to church and pray for more money. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Well, actually, that that first week we played, yeah, I was pretty desperate for money because I kept appraising every every item I could find. And then you guys tipped me off saying, hey, you know, it's probably not a good idea to be appraising equipment that you aren't leveled yet for and it's probably not a good idea to be appraising equipment that you can't even equip with your character so then i realized oh well that'll save me tons of money and yeah uh, the game is not totally clear about that that's really not your fault it is not obvious that appraising always loses you money like you would think that sometimes you'd appraise something and it would be worth more than it costs to appraise but that's almost never the case yeah, because you do have a choice between, like, I mean, you could sell it before appraising it, but you could appraise it and sell it for more money, but you'd still lose out on the money. The difference doesn't really make up for it, I think. No, it never does. Yeah. For you, it was just a matter of managing what you were doing with uh, your other rewards, basically managing what you were doing with your items. Right. Up to you. Uh, yeah. Reach more gold. And then I could afford all the runes, and, you know, eventually I'm going to afford some voice acting. (laughs) (laughs) You've got that goal, yeah. Yeah, Um, I should have said that for beating the game. That's when I – I'll beat the game when I get six million gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Adrian, how do you prioritize the material rewards or maximize them or whatever you want to say? Yeah, it just came to my attention. I don't even use my money on the runes because – I'm still just trying to learn how to get good with my own skills. But yeah, the main thing is for appraising items, obviously buying healing potions. Because, you know, when I was in Amazon, she is deadly but still fragile. So I would end up burning through my healing potions, especially when we were doing, you know, long calls or going through the chaos labyrinth. 
So now I regularly check to see if there are any, you know, healing items in the magic shop. And of course, always saving enough to repair all my items. So that's usually where my priority is. So do you find that there's a fair balance? Essentially, you're getting as much gold as you're using, or are you getting way more than you ever need and you're just not thinking about it? I'm getting way more than I actually need. Sometimes I just end up appraising more items than I actually need to. I have fallen into the trap of, oops, I appraised something that was level 45, but my Amazon's actually level 35. Yeah, well, that happens. How about um, skill points? I mean, I know for me, I always play quests first whenever I make a new character. Like, I'm doing everything based on quests because you get skill points for those. And skill points, to me, are the best reward in the game because they let you customize a character. So they allow you to basically focus on your play style. Do you guys feel like you're getting a pretty steady flow of skill points or like there are droughts to it? Or I know, Adrian, at one point you said you had like 10 built up or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So do you cash them in frequently or what? (laughs) I cash them in pretty infrequently, yeah. Especially when some of the later skills require, you know, three per additional level. Uh, That's when you really see me um, not using them at all. How about you, Warrior fan? I try to do it when I can, although I think I tend to put more into passive rewards rather than uh, active ones, okay. um, which, again, kind of goes with my uh, recklessness because I'm so busy bashing the button, I kind of forget I can do this move and that move. So that's that's why I put put more into passive so that, like, you know, hey, I can pick up a penny and get 500 HP. Right. That's good stuff. You don't want to have to think about it that much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We'll talk more about skill points, character building and stuff in the next podcast because that's going to be our focus. So I don't want to go any farther down that road at this moment. We haven't talked about what's actually in the stages so far other than bosses and things that you can complete. We know there are multiple routes and stages, but do you guys feel like the stages are distinguished? Like, do you have a favorite stage or a stage that you really hate playing or one that's way easier or one that's way harder? Like, do you find that they're individually notable? Yes. I usually find them notable in the sense of, uh, boy, this gets really hard with multiple people. It's, I think it's the Bilber, not Bilberon. No, I think it is Bilberon Subterranean Fortress, the one where you had to go in without waking up the orcs. Yeah, that one room that just lights on fire. Damn, that room. Especially when there's multiple people, because sometimes you don't know where that camera's going to go and can pull you into it. Yeah, um, uh, I know what you mean. That's pretty damn annoying. Yeah, and I believe the ghouls appear in more than one level. I don't know which one they appear the most. There is one There is one called the Catacombs, right? Yeah, the or Castle of the Dead Catacombs. Yeah, Castle of the Dead. Uh, do not. I don't look forward to those ghouls for one major reason, is that they can grab me faster than I react, so I try to outspace them yeah. as best I can. Of course, yep. that also involves me playing fairly sheepishly. <laughs> you find that those individual segments are more notable than the levels themselves? Like, you're more thinking about, like, where they're going to be ghouls than like stage or, or I mean then like Bilberon is really hard to get through with all your HP intact. Yeah. And then there's stuff like oh the magic carpet where that one is actually um the Mage's Tower, I believe. Yeah. So I can still like piece them together. But um yeah, it usually set pieces like those or particularly reoccurring enemies that um make the stage stand out for me. Okay. How about you, RFM? Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to find something distinctive in in most of them. Like in the catacombs, you got girls to rescue and then you you fight a bunch of vampires or how there's the magic carpet ride or the the boat ride where even in the boat ride whether you you win or lose will determine if you go 
to certain parts of the map. And even if maybe the A route isn't so interesting, the B route could still have its own unique things. Like, I, I forget which level it is, but uh, one of the B routes has, like, crumbling floors that you, you just you can't stick around too long for. I think that's Old Capital. That or Forgotten Sanctuary. It might be Forgotten Sanctuary. Old Capital and Forgotten Sanctuary, I just can't tell apart in my head. I know one has demons and one has something else, but (laughs) 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 I can never remember which is which. Adrian had mentioned how ghouls show up in multiple stages. I believe there's no enemy that shows up in only one stage. I could be wrong. I haven't really thought, gone through the enemies one by one and thought about this, but Oh, the pirates. Yeah, I think you might be right. I, I mean, there's, or I guess because they're more of a boss, but you're right. They <laughs> do they do show up prematurely in that one bit if you go on the pirate ship. Right. Um, yeah. Do the bees show up anywhere besides the Lost Woods? Yeah, the bees are all oh, over. Oh, yeah, the, the bees. bees. The bees are oh. everywhere. Okay, yeah, Wall- yeah, they're in Wallace. They're in Ancient Temple Ruins. Yeah. It's funny because the neat thing about Dragon's Crown actually is the way that you transition to different looking areas, even though. So just because you're in the Lost Woods, that doesn't keep you from eventually going into a cave where you ride in a boat. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I sometimes have trouble keeping the levels apart because it's like I always remember what the first screen is, but then after that, sometimes it changes a lot. Yeah. Uh, like in Wallace's Underground Labyrinth, you start in like some pretty regular looking dungeon-y corridors, and then you end up in Mushroom World. Oh, now <laughs> I get it. Wallace and Ricky, Walt and Nicky. Man, I never, I didn't put that together, the Wallace part. <laughs> Good it's, catch. Oh. Are you a fan? Jeez, I thought Wallace is such a weird. They must have picked that name specifically. Oh, that's why. I I thought you were gonna say underground labyrinth, mushroom levels. <laughs> oh, it's Super Mario Brothers. Oh, it's so obvious. <laughs> I mean, you, you get you get you know all these you know mythical medieval names, you know, or or fancy sounding names like even Joseph Samuel or whoever the guildmaster is, and then there's Wallace. Uh, <laughs> a fun name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so basically, there's a certain amount of diversity in the stages, it sounds like, but it mostly comes down to individual set pieces that, that kind of distinguish them. The games are, or the stages are presented in a specific order. And when you initially play the game, you have to play them in that order which is basically the tutorial. After that, you can select any at any point, And if you, after completing one stage, you can continue to the, the next uh, chronologically or whatever you want to call it. I have really geographically, maybe. Yeah, geographically. That's a better <laughs> you can, word. You can continue to the next geographic uh, location. And you can continue ad nauseum. Do you guys feel like there's any logic to the order of the stages or there are certain sequences that have any logic to them? Do you mean the geographic order, like going from uh, the Lost Woods to the ghost ship? Yeah, so like, do you think that the Lost Woods is at the end because it's the hardest or is it just kind of, are they all pretty equal in terms of difficulty and the overall content of the stage? I didn't really piece it together before. I just sort of figured that, you know, that was just the order they put it in. But thinking about it, it, it does feel like that the uh, the pirate boss is is pretty easy since that's just a gaggle of mooks, and the gazer boss is pretty hard because that guy. I mean, he he warps through existence, and <laughs> it's he's a pain. Adrian, what do you think? Yeah, I can't make sense of any logical progression. A warrior fan even touched on the example I was going to use where that fight comes later, but that's definitely a lot easier than the Harpy and the Minotaur, their respective stages that you fight before. So 
trying to piece together. Wait, you play the harpy and minotaur before what? Before pirates. the level where you fight the pirates. Oh, I okay. So I think of the pirate stage as being the first stage because it's been so long since I played the tutorial that I don't really think of ancient temple ruins as being the beginning of the game. Yeah. But uh, either way, it doesn't matter, whichever place you want to call it. I mean, that's basically how vague the game is about it, I think. Yeah, but even then, the game very clearly has recommended levels for each of the bosses, and a lot of the the B-Rite bosses are all the same. It's the A-Rot bosses that all vary in levels to where no, you're that's not, No, that's not true. Uh, did I get that backwards? Yeah. It's not true either way. I'm pretty sure on normal, baby. We're going to go to the wiki on this one. Uh-oh. Do it. <laughs> All right, so let's look at Harpy and Vampires, rather. Harpy is 17. Vampire is 17. But on hard, they're different. On hard, Harpy is 40 and Vampire is 42. Yeah, I think that makes sense because normal is, you know, where they intend for you to begin the game. So even if the boss strategies differ in difficulty, it seems like that once you're level 17, you can you can take on all the A-Route bosses pretty easily. Yeah. Well, there you have it. So it's not even basically directing you at that point, even in the vaguest sense. It looks like even in hard mode, the A-Route bosses aren't distinguished that much. But the thing is, you're not really playing for the A-Route bosses at that point in time. Right. Yeah. We're all so, learning something uh, today. <laughs> it, shows, <laughs> it goes to show how much I've stopped paying attention to the things that don't matter once you get to a certain point <laughs> of the game. <laughs> like, I guess after playing it for 100 hours, some of the stuff that is really important in the first 20 hours just vanishes yeah if you if you want me to isolate if there's a logical progression i'd have to look much more closely than i have currently because i still have that issue of where i can barely remember the stages apart like ancient temple ruins mage's tower you know the ones where they all have a dungeony ish looking area that's where i really get confused like okay what yeah. level was this for again so, yeah, I don't remember enemy layouts. I could pin down to say, okay, this one I think is clearly harder than this other one because here you have a mix of those gladiator dudes with the mages, which is way tougher than wood golems and bees. Unfortunately, I don't have that information off the top of my head, so I can't do that. Well, no, I think ultimately the takeaway is if there is a logical progression to the stages, it's not immediately apparent. Nope it would be something sort of deeply set in. And personally, it's not something that I've really picked up on either. In fact, I get more the impression that the game is intentionally obfuscating the differences by throwing in randomized spawns and stuff like that so that it doesn't get really boring playing the same stage over and over again. If, yeah. If there's nothing that it feels like a really fixed structure in your mind, then you're not as likely to notice some of the re repetition. What I imagine that they're doing is they're also doing something like even in the tutorial when you're going through the levels in order, that that one boss in a way is a reprieve compared to the other two bosses, which were both harder. So it's not going to be a increase, a linear increasing scale of difficulty. It's going to, you know, dip and dive. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's actually something, that's a structure that I really like in like arcade style or linear style games that I don't see a lot. Like every once in a while you bring the difficulty back down and then ramp it back up. Like the Contra games, I feel like just to get completely off topic, the Contra games do a really awesome job of having acts basically where like, the first three levels, it just gets steadily harder, harder, harder. And then after you beat the third boss, it really chills out for a while. And then you've got like four, five, six, building up the difficulty again. And then it chills out a bit. And then like seven and eight are like a really steep, sharp increase. But I think that that's kind of what you're saying you see in Dragon's Crown. And I think it's an interesting structure at least. Yeah. 
do you make an effort to distribute which stages you're playing or if you have quests that are all telling you to go to ancient temple ruins, will you just play that like five times in a row? I think I do let the quest dictate where I'm going to visit. Okay. Although um, I do kind of hate the, uh, the magic carpet ride. It's just up, down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. But, but, but then the, uh, the other hands come out and it's just. No, they're on the same sequence. Really? Like both the hand types. Yeah. You just wait for one of them to spawn. It'll spawn on whichever lane you're in, and then you move to the other lane. Then something will spawn there, then you move. Then spawn, then move. You just go back and forth. Oh. <laughs> it's The timing is a little tight on it. Like, it is easy to... Or I mean, it's difficult to gauge, especially where the triple hands are concerned. yeah. But it's yeah. just it's there's no telegraph for the those hands. It would have been better if they had one. No, you can tell when they're coming. There's a the lava lights up. Yeah, well, it's the, no, that's the one where they they pop out and start. Right. Oh, that's that's what I meant by the triple hands, where, oh, it shoot, where oh. they shoot in an arc at you. Yeah, the, red, yeah, the arc's the, easy. The red hands show up too. You just gotta look closely. Okay. You'll see. Trust me, I I've been at that point where these where all the like mini games were fucking annoying as hell, and now I just have like really strict strategies that I use for each one. Well, maybe that's because you're playing as a <clears throat> wizard, and and uh, those are the only classes that can wear glasses. So. <laughs> yeah, but I don't wear glasses in real life. Oh, yeah, it's true. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. I hate to break the news, do you? I think I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, does soup wear glasses? Yeah. All right. So are we, does that make us half glasses? I think so. Adrian, you don't wear them, right? Nope. All right, sweet. So Adrian and I are the superior beings. Listen <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think you guys both kind of said quests. You sort of let the game dictate for you where to go with the quests. Yeah, I rarely, I don't think I actually have ever played a stage and think, you know, I'm going to play that exact stage again right now. I've never done that, not yet anyways. So you you definitely don't ever say like, oh, I really like Wallace and I'm going to, I feel like playing that stage right now. You've always got like some specific goal in mind. Right. And I figure once I get into um, two of my goal where it's like, you know what? I really want to learn these bosses. Uh, that's probably where you'll see me repeating stages. That makes sense. To finish up here, I know that you guys haven't spent too much time in, in it yet. Maybe just the one session. But the Labyrinth of Chaos, which is unlocked at the end of basically the first run of the game, and that is essentially the terminal challenge in the game, takes away the quests. It takes away the choice of whether to continue or not. It takes away basically a great deal of the structure of the game. Maybe not all of the structure, but, oh, I mean, most importantly, I guess, it takes away the actual uh, repeated layouts and boss fights. Why do you guys think that is? Why is the end of the game taking away all of the structure of the game? I think that's for people looking for a challenge, you know, because like you said, it throws, you know, random rooms and, and you don't know which kind of room is coming up next. It could be a ghoul room. It could be a zombie room. It could be pirates. And you don't know what boss is going to be at the end of the section either. Plus the the fact that you have to do this three times to officially complete, complete a floor. It's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. So you think, uh, I mean, what, what's implicit there is you think predictability is uh, something that makes the game easier, basically, and taking away that predictability is the way to get the most challenge out of it. Oh, sure, yeah. I think that's probably applicable to any game, but I think in particular, a game where you are have the level of preparation available to you as Dragon's Crown, um, that's even more pronounced. Although, um, you said it takes away doing levels consecutively, but can't you ditch a uh, floor early between bosses? 
that's true, but you get nothing for it, right? Well, right. I mean, you get your experience points or whatever, but you didn't complete the level then. Right, right. And you have to, if you leave in the middle of section, or if you beat section two and leave, you have to come back and do section one all over again, which, you know, like, like we said, it's random. So it could be a whole slew of different things. You're not going to know what's going to come at you this time. Right. Adrian, what do you think about it? I'm in agreement with with what Wario fan said that it does because it randomizes things and if you like to prepare for levels like say you take a fire staff to deal with a level that has ghosts in it um, that's going to make it harder to deal with unless you specifically pack all your bags to have a fire staff but what also does is that one it makes that aspect of having multiple bags more pronounced because you're forced to do consecutive levels Whereas in the main game or the main campaign, both normal, hard, whatever, you could always do one, uh, do the B route, get your talisman, and then exit back to town. And this one is nope, you're going to do three bosses one after another. So that's one where it really gets you to buckle down and actually get good at the game because you're not going to, you know, make it to the just one boss, use up all your skill points, win, and then get out of there. No, you got to get through three of them. I think we forgot to mention that. You know, even if we see a room that's familiar, it randomizes the enemies too. So you could uh, yeah. be fighting pirates in the catacombs. Yeah, it's, on a ship. There's no car correlation between the uh, aesthetics and the actual content anymore. Right. It's it's just you know at this point it's just set pieces and they're all being thrown together. Yeah. So you'll get enemy layouts and variations that you don't see in the you know, vanilla levels. Yeah, you'll even get sequences of enemies that you haven't seen before and pairing of bosses with sets of enemies that you haven't seen before. So, as Adrian was saying, it not only increases the need for adaptability, but it increases the need for conservation or survivalism or strategies that basically will allow you to be able to sustain a longer level uh, or a longer degree of successful gameplay than the, the stages in the regular game do, do. Yep. I know Adrian said that it was uh, his goal to get to the end of the Labyrinth of Chaos, so I assume that means you like that. Do you have any preference for that versus the structure of the normal game or... Do you feel that it's appropriate to have both? I feel it's appropriate to have both. I do always appreciate when games are able to cater to a wide spectrum of player skills so that, you know, you have a way for, you know, players who aren't as good but can still get through it, but then you still have those other areas where people like me who go crazy for challenges can really sink their teeth into. I always appreciate that. Well, the term you used earlier, I think, is perfect for it. It's a challenge mode. Yep, it is. And I like that. Warrior fan, challenge modes? I mean, yeah, they're they're fine. Sometimes I'm not always enthused about going in there, but, but I know the reward is, is can be the rewards can be pretty great, so I, I, I put up with it for that. Okay, so you've got your eye on the prize. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it for a discussion of the structure of Dragon's Crown. Uh, I think there were a lot of uh, very good points there and a lot of good observations. And I think Dragon's Crown as a whole has a pretty successful and interesting structure that manages to capture aspects of both technical RPG, or I mean technical arcade gameplay and strategic RPG gameplay. Next time we'll come back and talk about what we get out of creating different characters, what our different strategies are, and um, how we think customization affects the action of the game. So thank you guys for joining me. Any final words? Yeah, an addendum to the Chaos Labyrinth. That is the mode that actually goes to, you know, beat em up arcades, or at least a one-credit-clear version of those, where or you got to get through a large amount of these challenges in pretty much one shot. It definitely does put more emphasis on that. Wario fan? Uh, playing this and, and what you've been saying about how it's like the uh, arcade dungeons and dragons game, 
uh, makes me want to see if we can play those games together too. I had that at the back of my mind as well. So uh, I think we should definitely consider that. All um, right. Because I, I enjoyed those games a lot. Uh, and I think those actually uh, would be a, a real good counterpoint to what we've seen in Dragon's Crown. So hopefully that uh, will be in our future as well. Either way, thank you everyone for listening and good night. Good night. Good night.